Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me today. Hey, this is part two on what kind of people ought we to be. You ever think of that question? What kind of person should I be? So many times we are like that old farmer. And I think it was Tony Evans who shared this illustration. I love this illustration because it's an indicative way in which many people live their lives. A farmer was giving a friend of his kind of a little tour of the beautiful farm that he had. And as they're driving down the gravel road at the entrance of the farm, there's a very large red barn on the side of the driveway. And on the side of that barn was these targets. And there were seven targets on the side of the barn with seven arrows all placed perfectly in the bullseye. So the man who was getting the tour asked the farmer, he said, my, somebody must be an excellent archer. Seven targets, seven bullseyes. That is amazing. And the farmer says, oh yeah, that, that's me. Uh, I'm the one that is the, the perfect archer. He says, well, what I did is I randomly shot seven arrows into the side of my barn, and then I went back after and drew the target around the arrows. <laughs> Isn't that how many of us live our lives? We look back and say, well, look at all this that has happened in my life. It's like it randomly happened, or it happened without our planning, without our effort. But can you imagine? What would happen if you actually set out to discover what God wants you to do with your life and how you ought to live your life? 2 Peter 3 says this, You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Somebody says if you build a man a fire, that'll keep him warm for a day. But if you set him on fire, he'll be warm the rest of his life. So today, I want to give you four ways in which you ought to be living your life. We're given the command that we ought to be holy, we ought to be godly. So I am assuming, and maybe I shouldn't assume, that those who are listening to the sermon are born-again believers. And as a result of being a born-again believer, you ought to have as a goal of your life to live a holy life, to live a godly life, especially as we see the day of the Lord approaching. So there's four things that we're going to look at. And we're looking at it from the lens of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah was an amazing prophet. And he wrote a book that's comprised of 66 chapters. Chapters 1 through 39 talks about the history of Israel. A fascinating story, right? Chapters 40 to 66 conveys the coming of Christ. I love those chapters. Now, Isaiah is regarded as one of the greatest books in the Bible. Isaiah is the greatest. Old Testament prophet. In fact, Jesus said of Isaiah that he saw the glory of the Lord, Isaiah 6, and he spoke of him in John 12, 41. So Isaiah is quoted more than any other Old Testament prophet, quoted more in the New Testament than any other Old Testament prophet. So we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 6 and beginning at verse number 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted sitting on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him was a seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered his faces, and with two they covered his feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another. This is what they were calling. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. 
Well, here's point number one. We ought to be people who see the Lord highly exalted. Uzziah was a good king. He started reigning when he was just 16 years old, and he lived most of his life pretty good, but he didn't end strong. Here at the death of Uzziah, Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up. Listen, oftentimes, God will reveal himself to us in our times where we are filled with pain and filled with anguish, and sometimes he reveals himself at the death of a loved one. You know, every time I do a funeral, but without exception, I share the gospel. And even if the family doesn't want me to share the gospel, I share the gospel anyway, because the gospel is the power of God that can change a person's life. I exalt the Lord by sharing the gospel. Oh, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he was one that was undone. Number two, he was humbly ruined, okay? And he had that integrity to realize that when I am in the presence of God, I realize I have nothing to offer. You know, so many people are afraid to get into the presence of God. And I think the reason is because we realize how insignificant we are, how unworthy we are when we're in the presence of God. When Isaiah is in God's presence, he literally falls apart. Now, falling apart doesn't sound like a good thing, does it? But sometimes as we fall apart, we have to fall apart so that God can put us back together. When Isaiah saw Christ high and lifted up, he says, I'm undone. He says, I am living with a people with unclean lips. Isaiah, the man who had it most together, of all the Jewish people, when he's in the presence of God, he comes undone. It says that one of the seraphim flew to him with a live coal in his hand. That's what he had taken from the tongs of the altar, and it seared him. Number three. We ought to be people that are not only undone, but we ought to see forgiveness as being painfully transformed, transformed to the image of God. You ever wonder why we kiss? God gave us these extremely sensitive, I mean, actually hyper nerve endings on our lips, and they're used to express love. Not too long ago, a guy told me that he had a fever blister on his lips, and it was from too much exposure to the sun. Now, if you ever experienced burnt lips, uh, you can somehow identify with what Isaiah is talking about as he has hot coals put on his lips. His flesh sizzles, right? Coal was applied to cauterize or to purify his lips. So his lips were burnt so that he would stop using his dirty mouth. Kind of like your mom may have washed your mouth out with soap, right? Isaiah has to have his lips burned with a hot tongue from the altar to prepare his lips for the message from God. You think about that for a moment. One time I was talking to a guy and, man, he had, he had a mouth that was just filled with vulgarity. And uh, he was just a young guy, and I uh, wasn't an old guy. And I says, do you kiss your mother with those dirty lips? You see, God is saying to us, I know about every one of your sins. But every sin that you have committed, it has been forgiven. Your guilt has been taken away. You never have to worry about your sins anymore because you are forgiven. 
Look at the guilt is gone. Let's look at Isaiah 6, 7. One of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Now, what did he say? It's touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Listen, when we have been touched by those coals off of that altar, the guilt is gone. And not only is the guilt gone, but the gospel is spread. Look at verse number eight. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who shall go for us? And Isaiah cries, Here I am. Send me. Not here I am. That would be his location, but here am I at your presence. I'm ready for duty. I'm in your presence. I will go. I will share. You know, when we get our hearts right with God, it gives us an opportunity to spread the gospel. As we hear the voice of the Lord and our guilt is gone and we've experienced forgiveness, all of a sudden we have a message to share. And then there's a seed that remains. Verse number 13. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the oak leaves and the stumps and they're cut back down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Now you can understand what Isaiah is saying here, what he's experiencing. If you ever have cut down a tree and you left the stump, and he uses the illustration of an oak tree being cut down to the stump, and you just leave it there, it begins to grow again. There's still that seed that is reproducing. I want you to know God's not done with you. He has a job for you. Your life may be cut down to nothing. You may feel like you have nothing to offer, but God has a plan, and he wants to take that seed that he's planted within you, and he wants you to be reproducing. Peter put it this way, the righteous man that lives among you day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and how to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true for those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Now, Peter is saying a mouthful here. He is reminding us of something very important, that when we are tormented by the lawless deeds, and when we understand and are rescued from those godless deeds, the godly rescue that takes place, we're rescued from the trials of the unrighteousness. Then we have this deliverance from corrupt desire. Then we have the opportunity to share the gospel. And then number four. What kind of people ought we to be? We've learned so far, number one, that we ought to be people who see the Lord high and lifted up, highly exalted. Number two, we ought to be people who see themselves as humbly ruined. We ought to be walking in humility. And then number three, we ought to see forgiveness as being painfully transformational. We are changed because of the forgiveness that takes place, but sometimes there's that searing that takes place in order for us to experience that forgiveness. And then number four, we ought to see our world as extremely confused. Verses 9 through 12, Isaiah, he saw three things that happen when a person or or a family or a community or nation drifts away from God. 
And he lays it like this, verse number nine. He says, go and tell his people that they're ever hearing, but never understanding, ever seeing, but not perceiving. They were spiritually dead. And so God had to take a hammer and a chisel because there was no response. They were hearing the message, but the message wasn't penetrating their hearts. They were seeing the hand of God, but they didn't understand what God was doing because they were spiritually dead. Secondly, Isaiah saw that they were morally desensitized. Uh, Verse number 10, and we're in Isaiah 6, if you're wondering where we are. Verse number 9, spiritually dead, hearing but not understanding, seeing but not perceiving. And then they were morally desensitized. Verse 10 says, make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. But they couldn't be healed at this moment because they were calloused. Although the word was being proclaimed, it was falling on a people who are morally desensitized. Oh, that's where our culture is right now. Morally desensitized. Any kind of immorality is tolerated and accepted and even celebrated in our world today. Isaiah saw that he was ministering to people who were spiritually dead, morally desensitized. And then number three, economically devastated. Look at verses 11 and 12. Then he said, Well, how long, Lord? He answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitation until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. This is a nation that is falling apart economically. Oh, I want you to know, God wants us to be sharing the gospel wherever we go because our world is extremely confused. Isaiah saw what happens in a confused world, and it wasn't good. But I want you to know, Jesus said in John chapter 9, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does as well. And I want to encourage you to cry it unto the Lord, to be a blessing wherever you go. And you'll learn that you'll have this opportunity to share the gospel wherever you go. But what kind of person does God expect us to be? holy and set apart. You were called for holy. Be holy, therefore, as God is holy. Well, as I think about the message today, I want to transition, and I want to talk to the dads for a few minutes. I want to talk about characteristics of a dad who is leaving a wonderful legacy for his children. As a matter of fact, I have 25 encouraging verses for dads. Verse number one is found in Proverbs 22, 6. Start off children in the way that they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. So verse number one, Proverbs 22, 6, is an encouragement to dads, okay? Dads, start children off the way they should go. Start when they're young. You know, dads play such a vital role in shaping how their children see the world and how they understand right 
and wrong. You see, as kids mature into adults, they make their own choices. But what do they do with their lives? How do they treat others? And how do they understand their relationship with God? Well, dads, we get to help lay the foundation. You know, parenting isn't the only variable in how kids turn out, though. A father can't know what specific challenges their children may encounter on this path, and he can't control how his children react, but he can start them on the right path. He can teach them when they're very young. So start young, dads. Number two is Deuteronomy 6, 6 6-7. Dads, impress upon your children the commands of God. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7 says, these commands that I give you today, that will be on your hearts. And then Moses says, impress them on your children. Talk about it when you sit in a home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. So this passage comes just after Moses had received the Ten Commandments with Israel, but they're for Christian fathers. The heart of this verse is that God's word would be on their minds throughout the entire day. We have a responsibility to teach our children what God desires. So start off young with your children and then impress God's commands upon your children. Number three, this is found in Malachi 4.6. Trust that God will turn the hearts of the parents to their children. Malachi is writing and he says that God is going to turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and I'll strike the land with total destruction. Now, this is a powerful verse. Malachi is challenging the Israelites. It said, listen, guys, would you please impart God's word into the hearts of your children? But in order for that to happen, the parents must have their hearts toward God. Because if this doesn't happen, It says, I will come and I'll strike the land with destruction. So the challenge here is for the honoring of God's covenant to be with the parents. You see, there's a prediction that is given. The prediction is that God's going to turn the hearts, but it's going to first be the parents turning their hearts back to God. Well, number four, the one who loves their children is very careful to make sure they are disciplining their children. Now, I think this next verse was my one of my dad's favorite Bible verses, okay? Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Now, I'm not talking here about abuse in any shape or form, but everybody makes mistakes. And we all sin. But when children make poor choices, when they disobey, when they hurt others, it's not always immediately clear to them they've done something wrong. They may not understand why what they did was wrong. So this discipline is a corrective action. And if it results in something that they desired, they may be motivated to do something again, even though it's wrong. So there's got to be consequences for repeating bad behavior. You know, sometimes discipline is as simple as talking to a child about what they've done and why it's wrong, but sometimes the consequences are much more severe. But it's never comfortable. It's never pleasant. 
You see, good fathers recognize that discipline comes from a place of love and a place of desire to teach your children what is right. Number five, this actually comes from Matthew 23, verse number nine, where Jesus says, and do not call anyone on the earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. So we want to teach our children not to have divided loyalties. We want undivided loyalties to one father, and that is the father in heaven. Jesus reminded his fathers that they all belong to God's family, and that above all else, that God is the one who deserves their honor and their obedience. And this echoes what Malachi says, is that we all have one father. Now, the reason this is so important is because how your children are taught to respect the father in the home is how they will also learn to respect their father in heaven. So we are commanded here that we're not to have any other loyalties under heaven, loyalty to God, number one, and then respect to the parents, honoring the parents, number two. Which leads to my sixth point. Dads are to instruct their children how to honor father and mother. Exodus 20 verse 12 says, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. You see, the Israelites were commanded to honor their fathers, to honor their mothers, and it was actually part of their covenant with God. So a child who dishonors their parents is actually dishonoring God. That's why it shouldn't be tolerated. As we look at this particular sin, this isn't just an ancient commandment that was given to the Israelites. It's for us, too. Paul actually repeats this commandment to Christians. Look what he says in Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment that was given with a promise, that it may go well with you and you may live a long life in the land. And then Paul even paraphrases this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. And he says that children, obey your parents in everything because this pleases the Lord. Well, you're going to have to join me tomorrow to get the rest of this, okay? I'm going to go through one more in the moments that we have left, but we're on, on number seven. I've got 25, okay? And number seven, fathers encourage and comfort their children. First Thessalonians chapter two says, for you know that we dealt with each other as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and calls you in his glory. So here Paul highlights some of the ways that fathers love and lead their children through encouragement, through comfort, through constantly reminding them to live in a way that glorifies God. The writer of Hebrews says, let us consider how we may spur up one another toward love and good deeds. You know, this is a very unique relationship between a father and the child, and it creates many opportunities to bring about teaching moments. You see, when children try to do something difficult, a good father encourages them. When a child is hurting, a good father brings comforts, and a good father demonstrates how to live out God's calling. Well, join me tomorrow 
And I'm going to give you the rest of this list of how to be an encouraging dad. But also in tomorrow's broadcast, I'm going to begin by sharing with you four character traits of a legacy dad. So please join me tomorrow as we go through these four character traits of a legacy dad and we go through 25 verses of encouragement for dads. So Lord, thank you for the dads that might be listening right now. Fill them with your spirit. Encourage them today. May they know that they've been given a wonderful opportunity to lead their children, to shepherd their children. Help them to be good husbands so that they can become excellent dads, so that they can pass on the faith to their children. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, men, I so look forward to talking with you tomorrow, and I want to encourage you men to take that spiritual role within your home. Don't let your wife be the one that gets you up for church on Sunday. You take the lead, okay? Lead your family spiritually. Lead your family financially. Lead your family emotionally. Be that rock that your family needs, okay? And trust that the Lord will give you the wisdom and the strength to do it. Thank you so much for joining me. Look forward to talking to you tomorrow. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.